Hello, gentle listener, and welcome to Michael and Ethan in a room of scotch. I am Ethan. And I'm Michael. And what strange times we are living in. <laughs> it is the strangest of times, it is the weirdest of times. Uh, exactly. Um, we, we're, we, we should let the gentle listener know that we are maintaining social distancing. Yes, I, uh, well, I was going to, I wanted to say that we are... You know, on a show that is just nothing if it is not a set of very stringent and strict rules that we follow, um, <laughs> we are not nothing if not following the rules set forth in the title of our show. Because we are Michael and Ethan, we yes. are each in a room, and Scotch right. is in that room that we each are in. Yep, um, that we're good at complicated sentences on this podcast. Yes, well, you know, if you know anything about the two of us, you'd expect us to be good at those, if not literally anything else. I mean, you're yes. pretty good at, like, Latin, but other than that... Um, sure. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so... That's yeah. That's what we're we're doing now. I mean, we've been trying to figure out how to do this. Maybe kind of wait out the storm, but we decided rather than wait, <laughs> rather uh, than just do Oscar Wilde specials forever. Yeah, which you know that'd be fun, but not, yeah, not that not that this might not yet one day turn into an Oscar Wilde podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, you know, it's important to sort of try to maintain some sense of of normalcy and uh Mm -hmm, uh, spying mm -hmm. scotch and talking about the books that we set out to talk about months ago is us doing that i guess yes here we go um yeah so that said uh as michael mentioned we are maintaining our social distancing so through a a complicated series of of pulleys mirrors and um uh string on cans cans on string we are uh talking to each other at the socially safe distance of uh 400 miles no not that far yeah it's about 400 miles miles, i'm pretty sure is it about 400 no oh no wait no it's it's not 400 it's like four hours apart i'm thinking in in distance in hours so yeah right yeah (laughs) which we are closer to like 250 Right. I was going to say, being from the Midwest, that is how we measure distance. But uh, yeah, anyway, exactly. so we feel that we are being as as sort of hygienic and socially responsible as we can be. Um, right. But we did both manage to acquire scotch. Uh, mm-hmm. And we do each have our book. One, one uh, you know, you have to look for the silver linings. One silver lining of this situation. Neither of us forgot our book. Yeah, we didn't. <laughs> At least I assume you didn't. I, I, no, I've got mine. I sh- yeah. Good, good, good. Um, yeah. So, that said, uh, man, I told you I was going to wing it, and now I've completely forgotten what the next thing is. I think I'm supposed we to... We introduced the scotch. All right. So, yeah, we, uh, we tried to coordinate our scotches, but uh, due to... Mm-hmm and this is me sort of gesturing at everything um we were not quite <laughs> able to so michael not what quite. scotch are you drinking i am drinking the glen levitt single malt scotch whiskey 14 years of age uh and it says that it is the cognac cask selection oh very nice it's the okay, one so that's manage... in the nice purple box so yeah you've you've not had that before have you or... i don't believe i have it's one that I'm sure I have coveted upon the shelf at the liquor store before, but I have not had it before. Sure. Um, yeah, I was thinking of another 14-year-old we had, but that was, we had the Glenfiddich. They're like American special. Yeah. 14 years old. So yeah, um, I, gentle listener, am drinking Glen Morangi, uh, the La Santa Sherry Cask finish, um, 12 mm-hmm. years old. Um we have before on this show had uh, Glenmorangie's port cask finish, um, mm-hmm. and I've 
I've sampled the the La Santa before, just like I think I had you know a pour of it at a bar once, but it's been so long, and and um, my sort of Scotch palate has developed so much that uh, I wanted to try the the port. Uh, or, or rather, the sherry, sir. So a similar but a different bottling. Mm. Uh, Michael, give me one second. I'm being waved at. Yep. All right. After that egregious wife interruption. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So those are our scotches, gentle listener. Mm-hmm. Um, shall Shall we, uh, without further ado, stop torturing ourselves and open and pour? Yeah, we should. Yours, yours had a nicer pop than mine did. Yeah, I didn't hear your pop at all. All right. Are you ready? Uh, well, you got to get your wife back in here. Oh, we don't clink until after her. Yeah, I guess I, I guess I really can't go off script. Um, <laughs> hey, Karen, I know I made mutterings about you uh, egregiously interrupting us just now, but please come back in and read the rules. Great, now we have to keep that interruption. <laughs> you did that to yourself. I did. Rule one. Once the scotch is poured and the glasses clink, the scotch must not be mentioned at any time. If anyone mentions it, they lose. Rule two. No one's mother should be mentioned in any pejorative sense or any other sense not directly indicated by the text of the book being discussed. If any mothers are mentioned, the mentioner loses. Rule three. Ethan must never say the phrase, first paragraph. If he does, he loses. Rule four, Michael must never say the words vampire, vampiric, or any derivative thereof. If he does, he loses. Rule five, if anyone has to use the bathroom during an episode, he or she loses. However, this should not stop anyone from doing so because this podcast is anti-UTI. Rule number six, the wives are entitled to one glass of scotch or some equivalent beverage. Rule number seven, if four scotch-centric episodes pass with no losses, then everyone loses. And what happens if someone breaks the rules? If one person breaks a rule, they receive a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt chosen by the person who did not break the rule. All that being said, everyone, drink responsibly. Yeah, Ethan. Yeah, Michael. Gentle, gentle listener. Thank you, Karen. I appreciate it. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, we are going to be maintaining the rules in as much as possible. Um, right. So, Michael, I know that you're a little little stinker, little little scamp, so I don't want to hear you, like, picking up your computer and, like, hear the toilet flush in the background as you, <laughs> you know, take a secret pee to get around the rules because we're we're so far apart. Um, I would never. You waited an awful long time to give that very not convincing denial. Um, <laughs> what? No. <laughs> so, uh, that said, shall we uh, virtually clank? Yes, let's virtually clank. <laughs> Slancha. Right. Brost. Oh, that was very nice. I'm not even going to... Well, no, I have to. No, there you go. Yeah, it was something. <laughs> it, it was, was something, nice. you know. Um, maybe whichever one of us edits this can grab a, a public domain, you know, toast sound off the internet. Which is a joke, <laughs> because go. no matter which one of us edits this, we won't do that. Nope. <laughs> not happening. Um... Okay, so, uh, we have claimed classes. The rules are in effect. Um, all that remains is to introduce the book. 
Um, mm -hmm. So this book for today, now, here, and mm -hmm. where you are, um, which we're also counting as here, um, is The Light Between Oceans by M.L. Stedman. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, I, I'm in two minds about how to start this discussion off, because in one mind I want to introduce my reaction right away, and in another mind I'd like to hear your reaction first, Michael. Let's do, let's do that thing. I shall be a, I shall be a gracious host. You, uh, brought this book to our attention. What opening remarks do you have about this book? See, okay, I, I was, I was, I, I want to react to, to your introduction first. Because I think sure. uh, you 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 had me by being of two minds in the first place, but I think you were way too decisive considering the book. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Wait, um, is this is this you predicting what my reaction to the book is, or just just no, accusing no, me of being no, I, sort of farby? I'm 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 being um, uh, I don't know if meta is the right word, but <laughs> we'll. We'll go with that. Anyway, this book. Okay, so it has been a while now since I've, I've read it because um, we planned on recording far sooner than we actually wound up doing. Anyway, um, I saw the movie before I read the book, actually. And, oh, okay. Um, uh, that was on my wife's recommendation who had read the book before seeing the movie. And after reading the book, she wanted to see the movie. And so we watched the movie and then she said I should read the book. And so now we've read the book. Anyway, um, I enjoyed this book, I think, a good deal more than I expected to. And that's how I'll preface this. Uh, the movie was excellent. I really enjoyed the movie. I'm not going to talk about the movie really at all, um, besides just saying that I really enjoyed it. But now okay. when we come to the the book here, I was, you know, more or less expecting um, a poorer quality of writing because, you know, you've got those um, New York Times bestsellers that I think have interesting stories and they'll pull you along and they're real page turners but when it comes to the actual writing it's meh um sure and i was expecting something more along those lines but i think what ml stedman does with this book is weave an interesting narrative with some not so subtle themes and uh some other bits and pieces that shows that she really did her research uh sure. and i think it's it's dense Interesting. That's, that's what i'll say i think it has a density that i wasn't expecting uh when sure. i came to it so okay that's just my initial um, reaction okay i'm i'm going to preface my reaction then by saying i don't necessarily Think you're wrong about the density um and though it's not that's not a word i would have used so i'm actually very interested to hear like you sort of unpack that claim um mm -hmm. but with that preface i'm going to say i straight up did not like this book um, oh okay i don't know that i liked it worse than of human bondage uh, okay. But I think I did, <laughs> and I certainly did not like it any better. Um, okay, okay. And I wanted to throw that out there in a similar way to what I think I did when we started Of Human Bondage in uh, sort of allowing you to treat me as a hostile witness, um, depending on <laughs> your own feelings about this book. And, you know, similar to Of Human Bondage, like, there are shades of my dislike, and some of them do involve me having a lot of respect for the author and for some of the things that she does. Um, and some of them do involve me sort of liking parts of it. Um, sure. Or elements of it. But uh, I had, I guess I'll say three major beefs with it. Okay. Um, and I'll try to run through these quickly. Uh, and you can see if you, if you um, sort of, if you think I'm I'm crazy and, and misperceiving this book wildly or not, but 
Um, I will I will say all three of these beefs are very subjective and very much about my own personal sort of taste in literature and and you know thoughts on the way that literature should be. Um, mm. And so anyone who disagrees with those premises will you know maybe think I'm insane for liking what might otherwise be a very good book. Um, mm -hmm. So that said, uh, wait, now I forgot what my third beef was. Maybe I only have two. All right, we'll see. <laughs> um, so probably my first and main thing I felt about this book is that it was really sort of constructed. Um, okay, this book is a taco. Um, okay. And by that I mean that a, a middle-aged man that I'm Facebook friends with who is a quite good home cook um, once referred to tacos as uh, the greatest meat delivery system ever uh, invented uh, okay. by man. And uh, at the time, I remember sort of being like, well, that's reductive. But, you know, the more I think about it, the more that, like, well, you can have a good, you know, tortilla, you can have various good toppings like they are all there to sort of dress up and accentuate and deliver the meat right um mm -hmm. the way that in an old-fashioned uh you know the the sugar and, and bitters are really there to sort of present whatever liquor you're using right right um, and i felt that everything that this book did every choice that ml stedman made was um basically calculated to produce emotional anguish and that um <laughs> uh basically basically that this book is an emotion delivery system um gotcha. and this even when i've thought it over uh myself this always feels like me sort of saying that you know just describing what literature is or at least a certain type of literature right like you you mm -hmm. you don't have literature without emotions because then you have history or you know um mm. like journalism or something right uh yeah but i felt and this is of course very subjective and i could be completely wrong about it but i felt like every dramatic um choice that was made in the book was sort of built to uh, increase emotional tension and emotional anguish um, and sort of for no other reason. Um, mm. And the clearest example of, of that, uh, I'm going to pull a classic Michael and Ethan drinking game move and skip to the end um, right here <laughs> at the beginning of the discussion, um, is, is that last scene where... Uh, the main character tom tom mm -hmm. um where he finally uh sort of re-meets up with lucy right mm -hmm. um having oh well spoilers so i guess we'll that now that i've poisoned this well so thoroughly um give the gentle listener a chance to read this book or watch the movie oh do whatever yeah um, <laughs> we should <laughs> good call <laughs> so here's your chance i'm not saying to do it i'm just saying i'm about to spoil literally the ending so if you want to do it now's your chance all right and we're back um mm -hmm. how'd that go for you bad that's what i thought um <laughs> so uh yeah okay so the end the end scene, right? Um, Lucy finally tracks Tom down uh, just mm -hmm. after Isabel mm -hmm. has died. L like you said, Michael, I've it's been quite a while since I actually read this book, and I'm bad with right. remembering character names when I've just read something. So this is going to oh, be sure. a real, uh, uh, real circus for me here. Um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so, uh, Lucy has, or Isabel, rather, um, gets sick and, and dies of cancer, right? 
Mm-hmm. And then um, Lucy tracks down Tom, like, right after that. Tom gives her the letter that... Um, is it the letter that Isabel wrote her, I want to say? Yep. Um, and then we end on Tom... Uh, just sort of having had this very poignant encounter with uh, Lucy and um, him just sort of sitting alone watching the the sun go down. Mm. Um, and just like the, you know, and again, this is me describing a basic fact of, of fiction, of novels, that the author controls where all the pieces are on a board, right? Yeah. Um, so ML Stedman chose to set this scene immediately after Lucy dies, um, or rather Isabel dies, mm. um, and chooses to have uh, Lucy's the Lucy and Tom sort of reunion be as bittersweet as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no particular reason, based on the rest of the text, to have Lucy wait this long or this length of time to be reunited with Tom or indeed Isabel. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, any, any, so there's, I forget how long the gap is, but there's a pretty, pretty, uh, it's like a 30 it's year gap or something between something like the last that, time yeah. that they see Lucy. Like, um, you know, obviously you wouldn't set it the next year after sort of the, the climax and the, the, um, second to last chapter of the book but like there's a solid like say 15 to 20 year window where this scene could have just as easily taken place um and it felt like especially with the the having having lucy die like it just felt like all of the pieces were sort of arranged to just produce a situation that had the greatest emotional torque Mm -hmm. um and sort of for no other reason and like that, that last scene is like a crystallization of it, but it happens throughout the book up to and including, of course, the central uh, um, sort of dilemma or or narrative question mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, so just like it felt like as much as this book was quite well researched historically and quite, you know, um, uh of like the the details are very much of the the time and place that it evokes it also felt like it was just constructed to be this like channel of pure emotion um (laughs) and i'm fully willing to admit that may just have to do with what i like or want out of literature which I, i would never say i don't want emotion in my literature but i'm much more interested in sort of an intellectual literary tradition and um even in sort of like cleverness or or wit um mm-hmm. that certainly weren't absent from this book in the sense that any good writer will have at least a little bit of those things just um you know by virtue of being an intelligent person but um it certainly was not the the drive or the thrust of the of the narrative sure um now that i'm thinking about it i think my other two reasons sort of grow out of that one for not liking it um such that this is this is maybe my main my main point about that um how does what do you think of that of that michael is this do i sound like i read a completely different book than you or no 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 uh, would you like me to to react to each of your beefs as you go or take them wholesale um i'd I'd love to hear your reaction on on what i just said because i think my other two i know i i know i laid out this very nice three-point plan but i think my other two are sort of sub of this one sure well this Um, podcast is nothing but a set of expectations that we immediately after disappoint um so (laughs) deliberately so (laughs) yeah exactly um Um, slash i think in our discussion of this point i may have reason to bring up my other two thoughts okay so uh, yeah what do you what do you think of, of what i just said sure I don't Fighting. necessarily disagree. Um, yeah. I, I have I have heard that about tacos before being a 
that meat delivery system. And so like I can see that with this book too being an emotion delivery system. And I I tend to have that reaction too, uh, to to literature when um it's only there specifically and explicitly to manipulate my emotions. Um, but uh, I think I'm trying to remember the exact phrasing where um, when when you express and I'm not saying you did this, but uh, this is just feeding into the, the discussion here that when you say that I didn't like this movie or this book because it's so manipulative, you don't dislike it because it's manipulative. You dislike it because you noticed it manipulating you. Um, <laughs> Uh, because that's that's all literature and so like with that too like yes um it's very clear what emotional responses you're really supposed to have in all of this um yeah as 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 complicated as each emotion is uh going to be it is you know just as you said it's it's an emotional turmoil um yeah that's that's that it's trying to produce for you um or would you say anguish, something like that, emotional anguish? Anyway, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's I, more I mean, or less all of those. It is, mm-hmm. to be fair, a very large and complicated set of emotions, but sure, sure, anguish, but you can definitely torque kind of seem like the focus is right. But you I... notice when it's happening, and and when it when you notice it, especially are exactly what you pointed out with that example in the last chapter of this um, kind of serendipity uh this this coincidence that anti-serendipity oh yeah anti-serendipity there you go um (laughs) there's got to be a word for that um yeah there probably uh, probably is somewhere anyway um yeah so when when that happens and it seems just so unrealistic that that would be the case um another unnecessary one that i think was in there is um the the woman that Tom saved on the boat wound up being yes. the mother. Like you didn't need that. Um, it it was it was unnecessary. Um, and and I'll also say that about the the last chapter. Essentially, I think the book could do just about entirely without the last chapter. Um, yeah, that's that's actually probably related to why I thought it was such a clear example of what <laughs> I was talking about. Because you're right story-wise you could do completely without the last chapter it just Here's... brings to a completion that set of complicated emotional arcs yes it's there it's there as a salve and a balm to all of the emotional anguish that has been there it's like yeah exactly everything's turning out okay in the end and isabel is not the wicked witch of the west she's actually come to terms with life and she's okay and happy for lucy grace and um she lucy also wants to know about her uh her parents the people who raised her on the 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 lighthouse and tom gets to see her and her son and everything and so you know it's it's a nice happy resolution to all of that um I agree that it doesn't. It didn't need to take that long. I think there's a little bit of an explanation for why it took that long, but it's it's a, a really thin explanation. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's justified, but in the most like papery of ways, which almost and, I would almost find insulting if it were more justified than that, like somewhat more justified. Because sure, as sure. It is, it's very clear why why it is this way right well and it's it's a it would be introducing something new in you know the last act here (laughs) right uh that would be cheating the reader in that moment um but uh despite all of that i think you know and you said too like the intellectual nature and the witticism and all that isn't lacking in the book uh, I think it just does have a a separate focus. I don't want to call it chiclet because it's not <laughs> quite chiclet, but I think um, that's like more or less like that. That um, emotional focus is is maybe greater than the 
intellectual. It, it, it it's I, what I'll say about it is um, it, it forms, even though it, it arcs over a great number of, of years, um, maybe focused on a, a specific set uh, there in the middle. Um, it ties itself around this event that you're introduced to really yes. in the first chapter. Um, and with that, it just compounds the emotional reactions upon it. And yes, the author is kind of feeding some of that in by moving the pieces around um, and yeah. putting them all together in that way. But uh, what I admire about it is uh, that it is so tight, more or less, within all of that. Yeah. Um, plot, plot, I, I think this is roughly what you were just saying, but like plot-wise and and characterization wise yeah. and structurally it is very like for a for a 400 page novel it it does i mean i guess that's where we get to that word dense that you brought up right it, it does yeah have that's a, a density and a skill that, to it that's what i'm yeah more or less getting at with that word um, density yeah uh i was gonna say yeah. something in reaction to that um yeah, I, I guess my uh, okay. I have two thoughts. Uh, remind me mm-hmm. to come back to Chicklet, but um, the first thought is just you, you brought up that idea uh, when you say something is manipulative, it's because you notice the manipulation, and mm-hmm. I don't know. And I know you you weren't saying that this is what I was experiencing personally, and I don't know if that's exactly what I felt so yeah. much as that um, I felt that. I knew it was manipulating me. I knew how it was manipulating me, but it was sort of the direction and the purpose that it was manipulating me that that I had the problem with. Um, uh-huh. In that it just felt circular. It was just like, you're having these emotions for the sake of having these emotions. Um, oh, okay. You know, maybe uh, uh, um, Aristotle maybe would, would approve of such a thing as like a purgative, you know, his, mm-hmm. his sort of poetics and the idea of um catharsis and all that like he might very well sort of uh uh you know think that that's part of the point of of literature if he knew literature as we do today um sure sure but personally Um, and again this is this is why this is so personal to me i prefer if if something's going to emotionally manipulate me i prefer there to be a larger point to it Um, sure and i will i will say to that too i definitely had the the reaction at one point reading this book why are you doing this to me um right (laughs) um which i think is more or less what you're getting at there um yeah and just like i'm this this is a lot and what's what's the point why why do i need this um right and i don't know if i have a clear answer to that necessarily beyond the the purgative emotional catharsis you know that's again what what turned me against it because i want it because of the skill of the of the of the emotional manipulation quite honestly i wanted there to be a greater point or a reason for it and because i couldn't come up with that reason i couldn't see one there in the on the page um Mm -hmm. i think that turned me against it uh sure I Maybe think something if, um, I wanted to like more than I actually liked. <laughs> sure. Uh, to put um, words into M.L. Stedman's mouth, uh, if if we were to to quiz her on that and say, you know, why did we need to examine these emotions, or or what was the the point of of the novel? You know, right. if she were to put a moral to it, we'll say that if she were to put a moral right. to it, it might be um, to think about what parentage means think about the the place in family life of law and um of all you know emotional connection of nature versus nurture i don't know if that would necessarily factor in but you know sure um I mean that's that is the thing. Like there, she does bring up a very complicated set of themes that you could spend some time sort of sure, exploring. And, and quandaries. 
Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the, the central sort of piece of the book, you could call this like a problem novel in the sense of, of Shakespeare's yeah. late plays being called problem plays, where they sort of took a, a moral quandary and built a play sort of around that. Um, mm-hmm. So that was actually my second personal objection to this book. Oh, and this okay. is very much, even more so than the first thing, um, very much a matter of personal taste. I do not like problem fiction. Um, you don't like problem fiction? Correct. I like, pro- it, the, the thing about problem fiction is that it inherently violates the organic, um, which to be clear, the organic in literature is an illusion. Everything is constructed. Um, Mm -hmm. But problem fiction in the sense of a story that sets out to investigate a moral quandary or a, or a moral problem where that is the story's inherent sort of um, purpose. It always bends other parts of the story, whether it's character or setting or um, something else sort of to serve that end. Um, and it, it relies mm. on the, uh, on serendipity, to use a word we've already used yeah. so heavily, um, that it just sort of breaks the illusion for me. Um, okay. And I don't know if I have necessarily more respect for it when it is a much more intellectual problem, um, but this this one really, especially with the focus and the, the choices that Stedman makes here, it's really an emotional problem and not an intellectual problem. In other Mm, words, mm -hmm. um, the centerpiece of the book that the whole plot, the fact that she chose to set it on this Island in this particular setting, um, you know, right down to the care, the specific characters and the choices that they make, it's all to build this central problem. Um, Sure. And, you know, exploring an emotional quandary or emotional problem is inherently no less valid or important than exploring an intellectual one but it's certainly not an intellectual problem that Stedman sets out to explore it's this the creation of this in some ways extremely specific emotional situation um yes yeah it well and I think it it questions you know the the question of rightness is it based in the the legal system is it based in emotional response is it is it something we can determine intellectually or emotionally is um I think at somewhere at the heart of of the the questions of this book um you you've suggested a space to me that I want to explore a little bit if I could yeah so the the idea of a problem novel problem fiction you know like a problem play um yes and and you not liking problem fiction and I think by and large I would agree that I don't like a problem novel in that way um yeah there are certainly exceptions and that you know itself just the idea of an exception is leading to this space that i want to explore at pastors conferences we have um sections called casuistry uh where we look at different cases and examine you know what should we do in those specific cases because the guidelines as written don't necessarily give an explicit outcome for or specific procedure for that case right sure uh and so you know we need to figure out how to how to work with that now the problem comes wanted... when um someone brings a hypothetical in <laughs> sure uh, i just want to interject briefly and say it's obviously super valid that you define this for our listeners um as someone whose comfort reading has weirdly been 18th century british fiction lately i am very familiar with that word yeah no and that's more or less i wanted to make sure everyone was on the same page the listeners who may or <laughs> may not know that and you in case you didn't <laughs> but <laughs> yeah well yes. you know so the, the listeners who have like lives outside of outside of uh reading yeah. might not know that but <laughs> sure um i'm trying yeah, to so... i'm trying to come off humble but i feel like every every additional remark is just making me seem um increasingly braggadocious about knowing this word so very braggadocious you, uh, yeah <laughs> No, okay. So, um, when when hypotheticals are involved, and so I think there's a a yes. a, a um um r- relation there between the the casuistry and the writing. I think you know if we had a a piece of problem nonfiction, so uh, you know a history that expresses you know this happened, and 
according to all the basic guidelines, you know, this is how it should have gone. But is that right? You know, that's maybe more agreeable than a piece of problem fiction, because as you say, the serendipity has to be there for the fiction, which there's no, you know, visible author that you can blame for it when it's in right. history, when it's nonfiction, right? Right. Um, and so, but uh, I think that does still leave um, a gap for those who do want to explore some of the the questions, some of the, the, the holes that there may be, um, just kind of answering the question of what if. And I'm wondering if that's maybe sure. where this novel came from, if M.L. Stedman started with a what if. What if sure. there was a child that seemingly yeah. had no parents and be, was raised by someone else what if let's explore that um and yeah. to that extent i think um that I, I think there needs to be that place to explore those hypotheticals uh and whether you choose to read it or not i guess is up to you <laughs> <laughs> i guess like maybe the crux of my objection is actually even more specific because like okay um Measure for Measure is, like, sometimes one of my favorite Shakespeare plays. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, you know, a, a story that literally is built out of um, the the problem of justice versus mercy, right? Like, it's... it's yeah. All of the characterization, all the poetry, all of the scenes in that play are not serving any kind of illusion of, of an organic story. They're serving to explore this very intellectual thing. Mm. Um so as you were talking just now, I was kind of asking myself, like, why do I, why am I okay with that, but not with this book? Can I um, guess? Yeah. Is it because Measure for Measure is a comedy? Um, I like, and and I, I don't, don't mean that so? it's funny. I mean that the right. the serendipity, serendipity itself would tend to, I think. Um, lend itself better towards a comedic outcome. Yeah, that's a um melancholic one. <laughs> sure, uh, I guess what I what I my instinct is like you may be saying what I'm about to say, but in very different words, so I don't necessarily okay. recognize it. Um, sure, but what my initial thought was is that I like say measure for measure or even like. Winter's Tale, um, or even Cymbeline, like I know I'm insane, but um, <laughs> because they are so artificial, and that may be where it dovetails with, with your idea of, of comedy, right? It's, yeah. Um, comedy has, uh, both theater in general, but especially comedy, has no claim to representing real life. Um, and Shakespeare's problem plays, again, are explicitly artificial in their exploration of this thing. I guess mm -hmm. what I don't like is something that is this, like, realistically grounded and, and sort of historical, um, because that feels like a disguise if what you're doing is a problem novel. Sure. Um, and I don't, like, you know, I have no... the the. I'm not doing the thing where if I have a problem, I present a solution because I don't know how you write this novel without um, trying to do both of those things. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but I guess I guess again, that's that's like the distinction for me is like a novel has this sort of illusion of life that it tries to present, and I tend to feel like if you're uh, if your intention is to explore some of these things um writing a novel is not like i don't approve of it like i'm just <laughs> gonna go ahead and stand on this hill um and shout my disapproval even though ml stedman nor anyone in particular has any particular reason to heed me um <laughs> i even i was i was even thinking that like even a movie um, feels like a more valid way to explore these things than a novel does. Okay. Um, in other words, like this exact story sort of put into a movie, into a well-done movie, and I have not seen the, the film of this novel that is does exist, so um, I don't know if, if it lines up with my conception here, 
but a film feels to me much more like theater it always feels much more like a play Mm. um and even as in the last say 20 years or so especially when films set historically have gotten so granular about evoking a realistic historical setting um even still it feels much more okay to me that this is artificial in a way that that uh you know it's even if you have a a movie that takes place across 10 years it's going to be over in two hours or 50 years it's going to be over in two hours Mm -hmm. or you know four or five hours if you're Kubrick Bergman or uh Tarantino but um you know it it feels inherently artificial which feels to me more like a space where you can explore um uh this kind of moral quandary and make it artificial enough to explore it um and i don't know if it's just Mm -hmm. like the time commitment or the the word count commitment that a novel demands of you but something about exploring like a problem piece in especially like a novel that's any longer than like a Camus work or something like just feels like it's cheating me somehow. I don't know. It's it's yeah. hard to express, I guess. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there's a, a certain amount where we're getting to, to discussing this as, uh, and you, you even prefaced all of this by saying on the basis of personal preference. Um, yeah. And to a certain extent, I think our personal preferences align on this. Um, but I don't know. I was a little more forgiving, I guess, sure. of this one. Uh, there was something else you were saying that you wanted to come back to. Oh, uh, yeah. I remembered my third objection, which may wait for oh, okay. our, uh, next episode, depending on how much time. Um, but, uh, tune in gentle listener for Thank two you. hours of Michael and Ethan crashing this novel. Um, but mostly Ethan. Well, Michael is nicer to it. Um, anyway, uh, you you brought up the idea of chiclet, and you were, and rightfully so, sort of waffling on whether this novel is chiclet or not. Um, yeah. And I personally, I don't... I, I don't really like the term chiclet because I think it's inherently derogatory if not like yeah misogynistic um yeah like <laughs> you know like like when i think of to define terms here um what i think of chiclet i think of novels or or books sort of cynically written to appeal to like the most cliche uh female like beach reader so like not necessarily someone who exists in reality but like mm. a publicist's or a uh, a cynical editor's conception of what you know a a middle class woman would read on vacation on the beach um mm-hmm. but so that that said we can locate that within a larger sort of tradition that i want to be careful and say i don't necessarily think is bad because it focuses on the emotional sort of side of things but there is a tradition within literature of books that are really just given to sort of roiling up your your emotions and like that's sort of the their main focus right um and Mm -hmm. Again, this is not inherently bad. Like Jane Austen is one of my favorite authors, and I feel like sometimes that's more or less what she was going for. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, she she sort of rouses you to a to a level of of um, anguish or at least tension, and then resolves that tension so beautifully. You mm-hmm. know, like that's that's everything she does in her books, but her books are justly considered. Um, you know, were like world class literature up there, you know, with the hundred top works of fiction of all time. Um mm-hmm. and so we can locate this this book in a tradition that like would if you hated it and were trying to be completely derogatory of it, you could call Chicklet in that it's it is its main point is to sort of stir up the emotions, maybe 
aiming at yeah. that like purgative catharsis uh, thing, maybe sort of just existing to sort of explore uh, a certain very complicated emotional um, uh, territory or set of territories. Um, so I guess in conclusion, if you were being as derogatory of this book as my initial remarks on it might have led you to think <laughs> I was being, you might call it chiclet, but only if you were being a jerk. Only if you're being a jerk would you call it chiclet. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, yeah. And it's a question of, I, I think it comes down to a question of skill. Yeah. Um, as far as, which, which is part of that manipulation. Again, the emotional manipulation, is it done skillfully? Um, I don't think to a Jane Austen level of skill, no. Um, sure. And I think there are certainly moments of, and I've pointed out some of them too, where it's like, ah, that was clunky. And, yeah. um, but on the other hand, uh, and some of this I think will come out in the next episode uh, when we discuss a little bit more of the um, motifs of the book. Sure. Um, I think some of it feeds right into that and serves it well um yeah yeah I but i think i think overall I what I... we wind up go ahead. yeah go ahead no you go ahead <laughs> I, I i think what we have at the end here is something that is very self-contained um yes and the 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 book itself the question would be is my life changed after reading it no is it going to make me think more deeply about issues nah, not necessarily um i think it just exercises emotions that are there and yeah um which isn't um, a bad I thing do want to... what's that which isn't a bad thing i i think right uh that exercise is i do want to do and also in the dignity because you were saying you know uh you don't think that she was at a Jane Austen sort of skill level, which I agree. Um, I mean, like I that's a, that's to... a really high bar, is the thing. <laughs> yeah, number one, that's a really high bar. That's like you know, uh, rating a. Well, I don't know. I feel like the comparison I was going to make was insulting, and I don't necessarily want to be any more than I have to be. So, um, <laughs> what I what I did want to say though is like Jane Austen is writing what we would now call romantic comedy, right? Um, yes she may be sort of inventing romantic comedy as we know it. Uh, but either way, like, yeah, she's, that's what she's doing. Right. Um, so uh, I don't think ML Stedman's goal was the same as Jane Austen's. Um, no. In the sense that, you know, again, romantic comedy, like makes you like some people sort of gives them some, some conflicts and then resolves the conflicts in a, in a very sort of almost insultingly brief nutshell. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, um, you know, Sted Stedman here is definitely doing something much more melancholic, much more sort of mm -hmm. uh, uh, emotional in like a, a, I guess a melancholy sense. I guess the only two words I have for this novel are melancholy and emotional, but they don't at least feel wrong. No, I, I would agree with, with you on that. Um, and I think maybe the only, if I could recommend an improvement to the novel, <laughs> it would be um, uh, upbeats on the emotion. Because, yes, it is very melancholic and not necessarily upbeats, but just um, some something that changes the pace a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, because, and, you know, this is sort of a, an inherent, sometimes unsolvable risk of a novel like this, but unless you're Johnny Cash covering Hurt and you can just drive that, that D note just like straight into <laughs> everyone's soul, you can't play the same note in an entire work of fiction and, um, not sort of, uh, drive people off at least a little bit sure 
Yeah, I don't know if that made any I, sense I, at all, but it, it it makes perfect sense. And I honestly wonder if maybe that was something that ML Stedman wanted, um, just to okay, sure. to to push it that hard. Um, to if if my my hypothetical uh, to begin this was did she begin with a what if? Well, the logical thing to do with the what if is to push it to its ultimate conclusion. Um, right. And I wonder if that's more or less what she was going for. Push it as hard as she could and see where it breaks. Yeah, and again, like, for a book I dislike, I do have a lot of things I want to say sort of in its favor. Because um, I do have to say that, like, the great temptation when writing a book like this, especially for the market she was clearly going for, would be to somehow have at least a semi-happy ending, if not a, a completely happy ending. Um, mm-hmm. And she did push it, push sort of the situation, having set up the situation somewhat artificially, she did push it through as, like, realistically and organically as possible, other than, mm-hmm. like, the anti-serendipity stuff happening in that last chapter. Um, but as far as how everyone sort of ends up and, and where their life goes, like, um, it all makes perfect sense in the end, uh, again, emotionally speaking. Hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, do you have anything else you want to add right at this moment, Michael? Nope. I would go on too long with anything new. <laughs> That's how I feel as well. So, uh, having prefaced this episode by saying I want to raise three objections to this book. Um, quickly so we can get through it and discuss other stuff. I have raised two objections, and here we are at the end. Um, what I was <laughs> going to say earlier was that I do want to give you, Michael, a chance to like bring up anything that you sort of felt was done really well in the book, because especially if you or any of our listeners did like this book quite well, I like don't want to spend the whole episode just pooping on it. Um, sure. Um, well, I, I, I mentioned in my my beginning review the idea of the research that ML Stedman put into this, and I don't yeah. just mean historical research. Um, I think sure. there's some more that she did. Um, I, I want in the next episode, just to give a, a teaser to the, the gentle listener uh, and to you, Ethan, I want to talk more <laughs> about the mythology that um, comes into play here. Um, some of it you is very talk obvious. About what? Um, I said you always mythology and then I talked over okay gotcha yes um Um, yeah and uh yeah I think some of it is very obvious but um I I think there there are other parts that um come into play that you know the we can talk about how she wanted to create a situation that emotionally manipulates in a in a specific way uh and I think there is a certain amount to be said about the skill of choosing the exact right things and yeah. naming the exact right things in order to get it that way. Um, that right. does require yes. um, a good amount of, of intellect, of work, um, oh, yeah, as absolutely. well as like, uh, a tapping into the, the emotional center. Possibly the the most complimentary thing I have to say about ML Stedman is that I'm sure she's way smarter than I am, um, <laughs> as evidenced by the skill which with which she does a thing I disagree with. Um, sure, there you go. That's that's of, high praise. Yeah, and and you know most of my sort of objection or disagreement is to do with uh, the fact that like if you're very good at doing a thing I don't like you're still doing a thing I don't like. Um, yeah. If that makes sense. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I love that preview. Um, do you have anything else you would like to say at this moment? I am good for the moment. <laughs> right. Um, so, no one lost in this episode. Uh, Yay! I mean, so, boo. <laughs> that said, gentle listener, uh, next time on Michael and Ethan in a room with Scotch, we will. I'm, I'm going to submit that I did not lose because we're ending the episode, and I have to say it. Um, mm-hmm. 
we will be uh, continuing to, to discuss The Light Between Oceans, which if you liked and you don't want to hear me just pooping all over it for another entire hour, like, I am there with you. I, uh, I, you know, I don't like to just, like, as Justin McElroy says, yuck anybody's yums. Like, um, that's, that's not what I'm here to do. So hopefully, if, even if you did like this book and you disagree with me, there will be something for you in the next episode. That said, mm-hmm. uh, please read along, even though we've spoiled pretty significant parts of this book. Um, give us your feedback. Uh, you can do that in the contact section of tapestryradio.org. If you put Scotch Talk in the subject line, we will be more likely to sort of uh, see it for this show. We are at Room with Scotch on Twitter. I am at Bjartlet. That's B J A R T L E T T. Michael, where are you on Twitter? I am at M G L I L I E N T H A L. Excellent. Uh, I we are also in the Tapestry Radio Tap House on Facebook. Request to join. We will let you in unless you're racist against Germans or indeed anyone else. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that was a light between oceans joke in case anyone at this point has not read it, which is of course inconceivable. Um, mm-hmm. We will also do your homework. We don't promise to do it well, uh, but we do condone plagiarism because we think it's funny and we want to see you go to plagiarism jail. Um, so if you go to our <laughs> website, tapestryradio.org slash scotchcast, fill out the form, um, it's, it's right there, like, at the top, I think. We'll do our best. We'll make it fun. You'll turn our unedited remarks into your professor, get an F, and go to plagiarism jail. It'll be great. Um, <laughs> if you like this podcast, check out our other shows on the Tapestry Radio Network, um, such as our backstage audio drama podcast, Intermission. Um, Us Play Fiasco, a new one at this point, uh, recording of this show's life michael what is us play fiasco about uh it's a group of guys that uh it's kind of a rotating cast uh usually there are a few that are the same of miscreants um that play fiasco the uh bully pulpit games uh tabletop role-playing game where you invent a movie and play it yeah i think there are four episodes out right now that are available so how often does that come out or is it sort of a it's uh, kind of a when it happens it comes out sure um there should be i think the month of may will be a big one i think there are several more coming out in sweet may so all right i'm very excited because i have listened to that podcast but i'm very excited for you to listen to it gentle listener (laughs) um I'm a good podcast network partner. Uh, <laughs> and also listen to Pokemon Rollout, our Pokemon Tabletop United Real Play RPG podcast. Did I say all the words right? Yes, you did. Very good. Wow. Yes. Um, got it in one. And if you like <laughs> this show, please rate and review us on Apple, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Apple Podcasts is like the the knockoff version of Apple Podcasts, but if you, either either platform, if you rate and review us, or indeed on Stitcher or um, anywhere else that you find us, uh, please do that. We we really don't pay to advertise, so that's how others can learn about us um, and enjoy what you enjoy. Um, mm-hmm. I have a webcomic called Pin Porter Girl Detective. Um, it is a uh fairy tale slash noir detective um webcomic that's at pinporterdetective.com um we've been on hiatus as personal lives happened but um we are planning to post new pages soon so if you haven't done it already now's a great time to catch up um and if you are caught up stay tuned for that um that said just remember, until next time, it's our party. Cry if you make us. <laughs> okay.
obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. listener. Obviated objects of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From From our our fancy fancy to to yours. yours.